0: Kia ora welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation with me Pat Brittenden. Hello, 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 making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Hey, a big thanks to Velo who are in part helping us uh, with this episode, velo.co.nz. They are the best manufacturers of wooden sunglasses and wooden watches. Well, not just sunglasses, I think you can get the frames and actually put your own lenses in them as well. But check them out, uh, velo.co.nz. The thing about the wood, the natural sustainable wood is it actually makes the frames really light about a third lighter than their similar plastic sunglasses so it's like floating on your face Velo.co.nz, check them out We have of course got some of those to give away as well just visit our Facebook page Hey, uh, today Miriam Lancewood is joining us Miriam has been called although having spoken to her earlier I don't think it sits very well. Uh, <laughs> the female Bear grills. Uh, she's a really interesting lady who basically shot off to the bush with her husband to live and has been there for like seven or eight years. Anyway, check it out for yourself. Here's Miriam Lancewood. And we're live. Miriam Lancewood, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our earliest ever podcast.
1: Earliest ever? Yeah, earliest
0: really? ever. 9.30 in the early. morning. Yeah, no. So thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you joining us.
2: Um, well, good to be here. For
0: people who don't know you, let's um, get this up first of all. Jace can get in on that. Is that a good framing there, Jace? Hold it
2: closer to
0: your face. Hold it closer to my face. Yeah, it's in focus. Although that will lose sales.
2: Yes, well, to put it in front of your face, but close to your face so it's in focus.
0: Published author, Woman in the Wilderness is the book, A Story of Survival. Love and self-discovery in New Zealand. Um, you are in Dunedin for the Writers Festival, which is now finished. Was over the weekend, and um, I saw your write-up in the in the Writers Festival and thought I would love to talk to this interesting lady because oh. they ref- referenced you as the female Bear girls.
1: <laughs> yes, it did.
0: Now you say I'm that's surprised. not. Yeah, I was thinking. Oh, that's good. That's a that's a good tagline. You know, you guys have done well, but you're saying that wasn't even your. Your tagline, your you have referenced yourself as that. That's other people calling you that. Oh no, I
1: would never. I would never say I'm the female Bear grills. No, I did see that for the first time with the Chinese translation. Yeah. I asked a Chinese friend what did they put on the back cover, and it was indeed this is the female Bear grills. I'm surprised Chinese people are sort of know him even.
0: Who Bear grills is? Yeah. So why don't? Why do? You, so it's because what is it? Because you're for real and he's. Kinda of, I mean he's obviously a for real survivalist, but what he does on television is not for real.
1: Oh, he goes home, he goes um, he goes to hotels sleeps in hotels, goes home to his family in London. He doesn't live in a wilderness.
0: So <laughs> so it's actually a bit of an insult to call you the female beer girls.
1: Um, yeah well sort of um, <laughs>
0: they, should, uh, <laughs> they should call they should call him the male Miriam Lancewood
1: yeah should indeed. go that way something like that <laughs> well, Oh no never do that. So
0: yeah. you're a really interesting person you well, we'll get to the whole story we've got time um, but you mm-hmm. live you live long story short as you live in the wilderness you live in the wild.
1: Yes uh, since 2010.
0: why I mean well, I'd like to know the journey before that I mean you're obviously not Kiwi natives All right sorry. That's all right. Uh, you're obviously not a Kiwi native from no. from your accent, from the Netherlands?
1: Yes. Born in Holland. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so what took Miriam Lancewood, born in Holland, um, to get to, hey, let's go live in the bush permanently. There, there must be a storyline there. Uh, yes. is, is it one of hurt? Did you hate society? Is it a good thing? Did you just love nature so much? How did you get there?
1: Yeah, certainly not hate society, not at all. I quite like people. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, nothing, not at all. Um, really, that we love to live in beauty, yeah. in the beauty of the natural world. But that really started with meeting Peter.
0: Right, your husband. Yeah, yeah. he
1: was um, originally from Nelson Yeah. and uh, grew up on a sheep farm. Uh, and he ended up being a university lecturer. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like it anymore. And thought I should be out there in the mountains and, uh, or not even in New Zealand. He uh, resigned from his job, Mm -hmm. sold everything and went to live in India. Oh, wow. uh, For five years. And I met him at the end of five years um, while I was traveling by myself in India. Mm -hmm. And together we walked the Himalayas, fantastic journey. Wow. And we traveled a lot together for some years before we came to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, I had to work as a teacher. I was trained as a physical education teacher. Right. And I worked for a year. And during that year, we thought, wow, those mountains are so brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, And we went tramping and camping every weekend. And then we thought, well, why should we go back um, to a house that we don't need, to a car that we don't need? Mm -hmm. And for all of that, we had to work. And uh, we thought, well, why don't uh, organise an adventure? Mm. A sort of an expedition for four seasons. we just do one year in the wilderness. Let's see how that goes. So we set off just with the idea of living one year in the mountains. And we didn't know it would end up being nine years.
0: Right. So it was one of those, um, let's have a small attainable target, 12 months. Yeah. And you've never looked back.
1: Yeah, and then after that year we thought, well, we're not going back to a job. Why would we?
0: The, um, the life you led before meeting Peter in India, would it have been what people call sort of a typical life of a girl, woman, female coming out of yep. Holland? Nothing, when I say nothing special, I don't dismiss your achievements. No, no, nothing special. Achievements, but like, you know, <laughs> you had friends, you went out on a Friday night, you were a teacher, I assume, uh, just a normal life?
1: Oh, uh, well, I never did so much socialising, I must say. Yeah. Because um, I grew up... Um, in sort of a small town. And when I was about 14, I was sort of discovered as a talent for athletics, for pole vaulting. Oh, wow, cool. And uh, this coach said, well, you could really get quite far if you do a lot of training. So I did. I was very fanatic. And um, so I spent all my free time in training, mm. running, gymnastics, uh, weight training to become the pole vaulter. Mm. <laughs> so, um um, that went really well, but the side effect is I never did much uh, going out and drinking right. and all that I missed.
0: So you're you're an athlete.
1: Oh, I was. Yeah, yeah, not now.
0: And did you? And, and with that, did you um, achieve? Were there national championships? Were you internationally competing?
1: Yeah, um, I stopped fairly early, but yeah, I became six-time Dutch champion and I went to the Youth Olympic Games. Oh, cool. But when I was, when I finished my study, physical education, mm-hmm. um, I was, happened to be quite young still. So I finished at 20 and when I was 21, I left to teach in Africa. Mm-hmm. So I taught for one year as a volunteer in Zimbabwe. And uh, after that year, I went to India. So um, I basically left everything behind on my 21st birthday.
0: Wow. And for the rest of the time, you've been on some version of traveling.
1: Yes, indeed. And then in India, I met Peter, and and then I came to New Zealand. So I really left Holland in 2004.
0: So outside of your time in New Zealand... In uh, the times you've lived in the bush, which we obviously definitely want to get to, just to show beer grills a thing or two. <laughs> um, when you're international, what was uh, what are some of the highlights? What are some of the things that you think of seeing and doing overseas that are really good memories?
1: When I've been travelling, yeah. Um, I think it I was walking in the Himalayas.
0: Yeah. So how high did you go?
1: Oh, we walked over eight mountain ranges. Yeah. Five of them over five thousand meters. Wow. Of course, everything is much higher, you know, yeah. you start on 3,000 <laughs> metres. Uh, we walked from Durham, Salan to Ladakh. Did to you ever think about staying there? Um, like forever in yeah, India? yeah, It's almost impossible to uh, get long-term residency. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think it's quite polluted, the water and that, so we got right. constantly sick. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. And place. so from there, came back to New Zealand, round trip, ended up back towards Nelson
1: um peter did yeah Yeah. of course for me it was the first time in new zealand
0: yeah yeah and so what were your impressions when you landed in new zealand for the first time
1: oh so amazing to see the bright colors and the because the air is so clear yeah everything even from airplane you see the um the amazing Mm colors yeah
0: and when you and you connected with peter and you are married now he's your life partner
1: yeah, yeah, so we got married um, because of um, to keep my Dutch citizenship. Yeah. To have two passports, you have to be married to a New Zealander, believe it or not. Right. So we did that, yeah.
0: So what takes you, and you've said you worked for a year, you went into the bush, you saw the bush and thought, why we go home? And you've stayed there for seven years, eight years.
1: Yeah, after the first year, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. After the first 12 seasons? Why? Yeah.
0: Why are you living in the bush?
1: Why? Yeah. Oh, we really uh, loved that that first year living like that, and um, it's amazing to live in such beauty mm. and um, such raw wilderness. It's not pretty, you know. It's not like it's not like a park. It is, um, everything is rough and uh, the rivers, they, they often flood and there's huge boulders and trees coming down and it's uh, really full on. And then um, then you've got perfectly good weather with blue, you know, blue sky and then it can change just like that into a storm and uh, the river floods so much you wouldn't recognise it anymore. And um, so the weather is very changeable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, it's very exciting.
0: So it sounds like it's still an adventure.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: It also sounds like um, you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie. The thing that seems to excite you is the the edge of danger there. I mean, you're talking about boulders rolling and, you know, big storms. Is that part of the attraction? Is it, It's a it's a, it's a a kick, you know, it gets the um, blood flowing?
1: Well, it's sort of good when you feel, wow, I survived it. Yeah. But at that time, it's very scary have to you, be in a tent. Have you ever had,
0: like, serious close calls or dangerous
1: times? Um. I think the um, thunderstorms is the most dangerous thing. Right. So we were in a tent and then we hear branches coming down and trees falling down. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, we're just in a plastic tent, you know. Anything could happen and accidents do happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, apart from that, we're very, very careful mm. because uh, you have to completely self-reliant and you're um, responsible for your own life. So never sort of really close calls. Thank God. And, um,
0: but you, is it literally just a two-person tent that you put on your pack and walk out? Is that the size of the, the accommodation you're sleeping in?
1: Yeah, and the tent is so small that we cannot fit next to each other. So Peter has to sleep with his head on the other side. And head so top head. and tail? Yeah, <laughs> it's so narrow.
0: Wow. Because, I mean, I guess I I... I mean, it's going to sound a bit ridiculous to you, but I love those programs like, I mean, you probably don't know what they are, but sort of survival programs. There's a program called Alone uh, on Discovery Channel where they drop people in the wild, uh, Vancouver Island, oh, yeah. and they, they leave them with two or three things, but they leave them on their own. And the idea is to survive as long as they can in the wild.
1: Oh, yeah? And so pe- what did they bring them? What are the two or three things?
0: <sighs> they, I think they have like they have a flint for lighting the fire. Yeah? Um,
1: Why not matches?
0: I guess because if you're going to be there for three months, which is typically what the winner is, oh yeah, then they wouldn't last for three months for a bunch of matches. Yeah. So they are a sparking flint to mm-hmm. light it, and a couple of other things, but they have to hunt their own food and, and, and catch their own food and that kind of stuff. Um, it does look hard and scary, but then again, I also think they're in a place where there are mountain lions, you know, um, bears, these sorts of places as well.
1: In a cameraman? man?
0: Nope. No, they do it themselves. No, they are, right. it's, That's why it's called alone. They are, they're they're by themselves, which is yeah. which is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But they also have like a satellite phone. So if there's an emergency, emergency. Yeah. They can call the distress signal, and the boat's there 15 minutes later. Yeah. Um. What about? Do you have any kind of way of contacting the outside world if there's a um, genuine emergency?
1: No, no, we don't.
0: Not at all. So if one of you broke a leg or had a serious incident, you have to either deal with it there or the other person has to hike out to get help.
1: That's right.
2: And you're cool with that?
1: Yep. Um,
2: so you so you don't even have like a personal locator beacon type thing like distress button, PLB?
1: Thing? No, not with no? Peter and I. Um, instead, we have quite a um, big first aid kit Yeah. with very strong painkillers. So right. if we have uh, any emergencies... Then we can, the person being ill can take the the painkillers with yeah. a broken leg or something. Yeah. And then uh, the other person have to run out. Yeah. But nothing like that happened.
0: How, how far are you from the road at any one time? So I'm thinking about you being in the bush and you can be, you know, 300 metres into the bush or you can be 30 k's into the bush. So where do you guys set yourself up in?
1: Uh, th- because we're sort of nomadic. Yeah. It's quite different all the time. But our furthest away was four days walk to the wow. nearest
0: road. Wow. Yeah. And do you always know where that is? Like do you know Where we are? Or yeah. do you do you know where the where the road is, say for example, or where civilization is compared to you? Yeah, yeah. We always got maps. Right. So you so yeah. you know exactly where you are, you follow your maps, compasses and maps and Yeah. But no one else knows. Only you know where you are.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. So in the beginning I was really one of my fears before we set out was to get lost. And I thought, Oh, I'll go hunting by myself and what happens if I'll get lost. Yeah and I'm there sort of roaming by myself in a forest, running after a goat and can't find the goat anymore, and then I try to go back to camp and get lost. But that's not at all the case. Mm. It's totally, um, uh, you don't get lost. Because in New Zealand you have mountains and mm-hmm. valleys, mm-hmm. and you can always hear the river.
0: And you always would, I assume, try and camp by a river so you've got a water source.
1: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So I know which river I'm on. Yeah. So if I, get, if I don't know where I am, uh, just go down to the river and, followed on, and there's the tent.
0: Do you guys have, like, um, wilderness calls? Do you have calls that you do to each other to find and locate where you are? Oh, no. No.
2: no. <laughs> Marco Polo. A
1: Marco um, Polo. Okay.
2: <laughs> 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 I, mean, like yeah, I remember, like, because, you know, our high school in New Zealand, growing up in New Zealand, we, we do a lot of sort of um, outdoor education. You know, it's a very mm. – compared to, you know, say, growing up in inner city in some city somewhere um, – and so we did a lot of tramps and stuff at school. And so I remember, I can vividly remember some of the survival training we had before we did school tramps and things like that. And the one thing that's always stuck in my head is if you get lost in the bush, just head downhill because you'll get to a stream and then yep. you can follow that stream right, in sea. one direction to either you, you get to the sea and at the, sea, the mouth hmm. of a the river, there'll, be a, civil, there'll exactly. be a settlement. And at the very least, you're gonna be following a river and you'll have water and it'll keep you not going in the circles. and So basically just, yeah, if you get lost, go downhill is what I was taught, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so I right. guess
2: if you're living in, in, in mountainous ranges, yeah, you just, you'd be doing the same thing. You'd be just using the rivers to track and stuff, I guess. So, yeah, indeed.
1: Fun One fun. of the things I discovered is um, that when you're very far away from civilization, mm-hmm. days of it, and um, in, maybe it's something to do with altitude and maybe, I don't know what it is, but something happens to rationality and uh, things become really very intense and, uh, and that's why people get lost, they lose it. Right. And I've heard stories of people getting lost and everyone knows you go downhill and the person following the river up.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Because, like, a, like a madness set. So.
1: Yeah, madness. Wow. And I noticed this myself. I ne- I've never gone mad, <laughs> but <laughs> that it's a little bit on the edge that yeah. I think, well, I've got to keep myself together here, you know. And I never have that, you know, um, among people in, in cities and that.
0: Do you think it's uh, more good planning or more good luck that you've never had a close call or um, a bit of
1: both? Oh, very good planning yeah. you know, and extremely careful. So we go very slow. One really good tool for that is always being in sandals.
0: Right. So, so you can't rush. Yourself,
1: no, we go very slow. And we walked the TRROa trail mm-hmm. a couple of years back. goes from Cape Rehanger to Bluff, 3,000 kilometers. And other people do this in four or five months. And we did it in 10. So we got twice as much time. Because we are going twice as slow. And I see people walking past and they jump uh, over stones in the river. But stones in the river are very slippery. Mm. And I think, well, that's very risky. And I would never do that.
0: It's funny because Jay's talking about the the outdoor education. I remember being at school and crossing rivers and they just say, you get your feet wet, you walk through the river, you don't try and avoid it because or else you slip over. Yeah, indeed. So um, the reason you take longer is that because you walk slower or you stay in a location longer, or both?
1: Both, yeah, yeah okay. both. But also, what's the point of us rushing to the end? we got plenty of time. Yeah,
0: you got nowhere to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like have, most of us who've no. got a week's holiday and have to yeah, be back. Indeed.
1: We have no time restriction, and that's the beauty of our life. Yeah, We have no time at all. So um, we got literally an ocean of time, and um, so we may as well enjoy it as much as we can. And then when we come to the end, we can do something else. But um, certainly not time restricted.
0: Where is, where is campsite at the moment? Where are you living at the moment?
1: Oh, uh, we at the moment in the Nelson region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, st- just staying with a friend. Um, because I've got all these writers' festivals going on in right. these couple of weeks. Yeah. So, so, you, so when, you, when you come to
2: these sorts of writers' festivals, are you not just tempted to just disappear up into the bush above, up you know, up the, the, the shelter belt, the the town belt, and just camp in the bush rather than a hotel?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But uh, of course, I also take uh, make the most of it and um, sleep in this soft bed mm. and um, have a warm shower and that. But do you, do did you miss that, that or do you
2: actually kind of do you actually think you do, do you because uh, you know yeah. Uh, I I watch a lot of movies and so you see people that spend a lot of time out in the bush and they come back and they get put in a hotel room and they sleep on the floor because it's actually more comfortable because they're so used to sleeping on the ground sort of thing. Is it it stuff like that Yeah, I have done that in the past,
1: yeah, not last couple of nights. (laughs) But um, what I noticed is the city is so comfortable physically. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's warm in the hotel and I have a warm shower and that and um, don't get wet. But um, psychologically it's quite challenging. Explain that. And I could see why people have um, a lot of psychological problems. Like I heard about anxiety attacks, Mm -hmm. panic attacks. I have no idea what a panic attack is, but I can sort of imagine. Um, It's psychologically a very challenging place. Um, It's stressful. The traffic, all these appointments, uh, people are running around. I'm running around Mm -hmm. uh, to meet all the appointments just in the last couple of days. And... um, yeah, I can see why people's problems are generally growing.
0: So I would think in the bush, if you um, I feel a version of anxiety, which I'm, you're not going to feel anxiety, but if you feel a version of I feel a bit, I don't really want to travel today, I don't really want to go to our next destination, you just don't.
1: Well, we don't have a destination. Yeah. Well, the
0: next, if you're planning on going the next day, and you feel like not going when you oh, wake up. You just when don't it's go. raining, for instance. No, you're yeah.
1: not going anywhere. Whereas <laughs> no, no,
0: for people in cities, if they don't feel like going to work that day, typically yeah. they have no choice. They get up and go to work.
1: Yeah, indeed. So in the city, you are manipulating your environment. Right. It's your responsibility to get at time on time at work. But in the wilderness, you are subject to whatever comes. So you're sort of receiving the weather. Um, when I go hunting, I'm dependent on luck. So I am happy for anything um, to receive. So I'm not in control. Mm. And that, um, if you are in control, you are also in stress because you have to make it happen. Yeah,
0: It makes me think about like a God complex. In a city, you're taking the place of the God complex. You're like, I will control everything around me.
1: Yeah, you have Whereas to. you're
0: saying in the bush, you're saying the surroundings are actually in control of me. Yeah. and But you're saying that actually brings... Freedom and peace. Some people might hear what you, that idea that I have no control, and they might think that that is that would be incredibly stressful. But you say it's the opposite.
1: Yeah, it would not be stressful unless you have a time limit. So a lot of people die in the mountains because they have to be back on Monday. Right. So they, on Sunday they have to cross that river to get to the hut, to get to the track, to get to the car park, and then you have a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you also have no time limit, then uh, you can be subject to whatever happens. Another big difference is um, anxiety in the city. People have constant anxiety. But in the bush, you are very afraid during the thunderstorm. But when it's over, you are relaxed again. And probably grateful. Yeah, grateful. And then, you know, so it goes up and down and not at constant stress level.
2: Is it? it, Because I I think, you know, because anxiety and things like that, you know, because I've I've read a little bit about things like that and... and, and Often you find that it's actually kind of based in uh, our caveman brain. Um, mm. The anxiety is coming from because our caveman brain hasn't evolved at the rate that society has, and so we're still we're we're anxious about things because um, where was I going with this? I'm trying. Oh, sorry, I just had a brain a brain fart and completely forgotten.
1: Yeah, then we get the, the, adrenaline
2: the, rush. Yeah, yeah, and sort of um, we you know when you're out in the wilderness, you, you know, I'm trying. To, my brain just completely gave up on me then it's, it's gone caveman brain yeah caveman brain Like because the the anxieties we have like well that's right The fight, so things like the fight or flight mechanism fight flight or so freeze yeah and, and, yeah. and, 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 and in, in society we don't really have we don't have predators you know we aren't going to get attacked by a mountain lion going to the office yeah. and so our <laughs> brains look for other attacks so even having a conversation with somebody and them raising it an alternative point of view um, yeah. to our to our point of view now um, mm-hmm. Our brains attribute that to um, – that's why a lot of people get into arguments because they attribute the the counter-opinion of somebody as an attack of a predator. Yeah, indeed. And so our brains go to that caveman state yeah. and I think, I and have adrenaline. to attack. And yeah. so the adrenaline kicks in, all of those other brain chemicals that cause anxiety and the fight or flight mechanism, the heighten you – know, the half race is faster,
1: yeah. all those
2: things that you would experience in the bush when you're – hunting or yeah. being hunted for
1: short periods of time but, but yeah. for short
2: periods of time but we are feeling that in the city all the time because our caveman brains haven't adapted yeah, to indeed. modern life and I wonder so I what I guess, the effect
1: you know, is on your body exactly, to have that yeah. sort if of adrenaline if, and fear
2: but yeah if you're living in the bush in a storm for a month, you would come out wrecked, I imagine. Yeah, or yeah. being
1: in war or something, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, it'd be, be like guess.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah I, just, I, I like the idea of disappearing into the bush myself. <laughs> so I, I've always wanted to do it. I don't think you could do it with the amount of tech you like to play with. I think that you well, that do it. Well, I was actually thinking that that's actually the reason I want to, because I spend so much time on technology, I kind of want to just go out into the bush with a flint and have to start and spend an hour starting the fire you know, or you know, because I wouldn't know how to start it, so it take me along. It take me now, not not going away for like a month because I'd die, but you know, going going away for a weekend and just having nothing but myself and my wits. You know, it appeals to me. Sounds yeah. like sounds like a a seven part series here, Jase. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want people saying how inept I am in the wilderness.
0: But sp- speaking of, I mean, there is every chance that you know someone like Discovery Channel. Will see this, hear about this, the book "Woman in the Wilderness," and think there's a series here. Uh, would you? Would you, I mean? But that would obviously mean then all of a sudden you're going to have camera people around you, unless they do it like alone and they, um, you know, give yourself. Would you? Would you do something like that? Would that interest you?
1: Um, to put your life on on film, so to speak. Uh, if it's a short period of time, yeah, I'm you know I'm up for anything, yeah, um, especially if it only takes uh, one month of my life. Mm. No, I'd like to experience such a, it's a unique chance. I mean, how often do you get the offer like that? But we did do quite a lot of television in the last couple of years since the book came out, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was uh, Ben Fogel in the UK.
0: I know that name. What does Ben Fogel do?
1: Well, he's, an, he's sort of... Equivalent of bear grills in the UK. Right. Um, Bring up
0: Ben Fogel on the old Google there, Jason we can have a yeah, look. Just so you've done up. see if you can do Ben Fogle and Miriam Lancewood. So you've done some stuff with him.
1: Uh, yep, you can't find it no? because I try to put it on YouTube because of copyright.
0: Yeah. Jace is a it. wizard, we'll see what he comes up with.
1: Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> good on Jason. Um, but it was really good fun and of course lots millions of people will. So look at so it.
0: what was that experience? You went out with him into the bush?
1: Yeah, we were walking at the time in Bulgaria. Yeah. And um, he came to visit uh, with a camera crew of eight people. Okay. And it was really quite overwhelming to stayed for a week. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, great to meet him. He had just climbed Mount Everest. He had wow. just come down um, two there weeks before. Ben Fogel, Channel 5. He taught me how to use a bow. He taught you. So yeah. he, he
0: is the UN patron of the wilderness. Um Nice. So that no, was. No, I
1: told him. Of course, he couldn't. He oh, you know taught him. Anything. That's a
0: beautiful bow.
1: Yeah, that's my bow.
0: Is that Is that travel the world with you? That bow.
1: Yep, you can travel with um, bows and arrows. So
0: it's yeah. not a not like a, a, a dangerous dangerous weapon like a firearm. It can go on the planes with you.
1: No, I just put it in your main luggage. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, very cool. <laughs> so, okay, so is that? Uh, let's talk about the bow and arrow and things like um, gathering food, etc., cetera, et cetera. What do you? How do you do it? Like it's a, it's a, you're going to go back with your husband into the bush at some stage in the next month, couple of months, whatever it's going to be mm-hmm. after these riders festivals. And it's day one and you need to fill the uh, the bush pantry. What do you do?
1: Yeah. Well, I go hunting. Yeah. So um, I started off with a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm.
0: That one that we just saw? Yeah. Nice.
1: And uh, it was a traditional recurve takedown bow, 55 pound mm-hmm. to draw. And um, it's, it's called intuitive. Mm. And I thought, wow, this sounds fantastic. I'd mm. love to master I mean, you that. You can't
0: really control it. You don't <laughs> really know.
1: <laughs> it means <laughs> you have intuition. no idea where you're shooting. Yeah. And um, yeah. Um, so I practiced for a year on a target. Yeah. And that went really well. Yeah. That was when I was working. Then I thought, right, right, I'm ready now. But it's really difficult. It's so difficult um, to hunt with bow and arrow. So uh, I found that out in the years after. Mm. Only after a year or so, I um, was really competent with hunting. And then you don't want to go rabbit hunting with a bow because the rabbit's only small. Yeah. Uh, best is goat. Goat hunting. Right. Yeah. So I learned a lot about goats. And oh, this is the uh, horn of the first goat that I shot with oh, my bow around yeah. I've got a little horn in on my, my necklace around my neck, always. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's amazing to master that, but I also find it quite cruel because often the arrow would go into the animal and the animal would run away. Yeah. And I have to track it down and it would sometimes take quite a long time. And uh, only after two years, I switched to a rifle okay. and I discovered, wow, this is so easy.
0: So so when you get back to the bush, you head out on day one, to, this time around, it'll be rifle, yep. not bone. But do you still have the bone arrow as a backup? You've still yes, got it in I the like cam- to.
1: Yeah, I like to keep um, practicing with it, and so why didn't it. you
0: go to something like a compound bow, which obviously is easier pullback pull back and probably more accurate?
1: Yeah, and they, you can't take that down. Yeah. So it's really bulky on your pack. Right. Okay. And to be very honest, when I first saw the compound bow, I thought that's not a bow.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a piece of machinery. <laughs> yeah, indeed.
1: Yeah. I was quite um, sort of romantic. What I wanted to have and a traditional bow sounded all very cool. I was very fond of Robin Hood as a kid, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to be like him. And, um, you know, for all those funny reasons, I uh, I chose that bow.
0: So do you rob from the rich and give to the poor?
1: <laughs> no, I don't rob anyone. Not at all. You just <laughs> take money from
0: the rich by selling your book and give to yourself. Yeah. What do you do yeah, for money? Because we talked about before we came on that yeah. obviously book sales is not the way to get wealthy.
1: Yeah.
0: Obviously, you do need money at times. You come to town, you get some... Um, some supplies that you can't skin off a rabbit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, where does the money come from?
1: Uh, well, you can't make much money with selling books, yeah. even if it's a so-called bestseller. If you live in a city and have to pay rent for a thousand bucks a week, but since we um, living very, very with very little money, we spend about five thousand dollars a year.
0: Hundred bucks a week. Yeah, yeah. That's very quick. Yeah.
1: Um, so we can live off the sales of the book.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that, that pays for everything.
1: Yeah. But before that, before the book came out, I used to go busking. Okay. With my guitar, if I had my guitar, which was sometimes not very often at all. Do you take that into the bush? No. Okay. So <laughs> that's stored with a friend. Right. and Sometimes I, I'll come back to that point. Maybe you need a later. ukulele. Then you can oh. take it into the bush <laughs> <Yeah>. with you. <laughs> Gets a <all> little bit bulky. <laughs> but um, I go sing at the supermarket, make yep. quite a bit of money, yep. and that will go a really long way.
0: Because if you, I mean, like a you know someone busking might make two, three, four hundred dollars $400 in a day, that's a month's worth of money that you exactly. need. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. So how often do you get out of the bush? Uh, obviously, you forget this time period that you're doing the book tours. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's just your, your normal time. You haven't got anything necessarily on. Yeah. How often do you see civilization?
1: Um, well, it depends. On the Tiararoa Trail, for instance, mm. we have only limited supplies, which is in our pack. Yeah. So we buy flour and rice, and then I would hunt. And if I shoot a goat, we can eat for a week, mm-hmm. and then it would last a lot longer. But if I didn't, I had to walk to the nearest road, then hitchhike mm-hmm. to the nearest town, and then come back to Peter, who was waiting for me at the tent. That would take all day. Um, so then I get as much as possible, which would be maximum two weeks. Right. And then we follow the trail and in two weeks we go back to... Uh, so
0: does that mean once or twice a month you might see civilization? Yeah, that was be on Road Trail. Be it a small town or, a, or a whatever.
1: Anyway, I was yeah, a shop. Yeah. Yeah. But in our first year, was, uh, our longest was four months.
0: Really? And yeah. in that four months up in the bush, mm-hmm. did you ever see other people? You come across other campers, I was going to say normal hikers, you know, people who aren't mad and live there for four months, but might be going on a weekend excursion or something. Do you ever come across people?
1: Not very often because we chose the areas that was um, really remote, Mm -hmm. but it's amazing how good fun it is to meet people. Yeah. Whoever it is, like, oh, wow, someone is coming. Look, someone is coming. Sometimes we could even smell the person coming because because of the um, insect repellent. And sunscreen is I, really um, strong smell. I thought you were going to say because of the odor of the tramp.
0: You know, we all produce a natural odor.
1: <laughs> oh, no, these days people have lots of deodorant and right. you know, you smell that from miles away. But, um, and it's really nice because those people don't have their Wi Fi and uh, their telephone and mm-hmm. computer. So they have all the time in the world and we stand around a campfire and we do all very interesting conversations.
0: So it wouldn't be uncommon that if that happened. You might dos down, they might join your campsite for a night or something like that?
1: Yeah, we immediately say, oh, stay the night. No. Nice. We're trying to trick them and give them bread and, <laughs> and uh, hair and possum stew and all that. So um, for them, yeah, it's really nice. And we make friends that way. And they said, oh, if you're near town, make sure you come and visit us.
0: And then they say, uh, do you want to swap, what's your Facebook name? And you say, what's Facebook? Yeah. So you can't stay in touch. So, well, so you obviously have a connection because you do the book. But I assume you have no other sort of technology, no social media, no nothing like that. You've got an email address, obviously, because we've been emailing. Yeah. But is that about it when it comes to the world of modern technology, internet land?
1: Yeah. So you say you have no connection, but of course our connection is we met. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so it's enough. And so that really uh, keeps a memory. Um, and then we exchange email addresses. Yeah. Yep. So when I go into town, right. I uh, found a library. Yep. And then I open my inbox, and it's uh, it goes really well. Because
0: I was just Nothing thinking, your your um, you know, if Oprah called, does
1: Oprah still exist?
0: Anyway, if Oprah called and she wanted to talk to you about your book, how would your agent get a hold of you? But as you say, you yeah. yeah, you're in town once, maybe once or twice a, yeah. maybe once a month. So it just yeah, can't, just can't, really it well. just can't be. Can you do an interview tomorrow? Because that's not going to get to you. But
2: can
1: no. you
0: do an interview in September?
2: That's easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah.
2: And then we get, and then, and then, in the, in us, the Western world, we get, we get annoyed if people don't reply to our email within that same day. But you're out in the bush for three or four months and don't reply to emails. So well, the difference excuse. is that they don't
1: expect me <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. reply
0: straight away. Yeah. What's the longest period of time that you've been without um, a successful hunt? Like again, I know this sounds ridiculous to you, but I watch these uh, alone programs, and you know they might go three, four, five days without a successful hunt, and they're incredibly hungry. Obviously, you've got some supplies, but have you had periods of days, weeks, etc., that you've had an unsuccessful time
1: specifically in catching rabbit, possum, goat? Uh, yes, indeed. And that was in the first winter. So we set out to live in the wilderness in 2010 in autumn. And um, I was going to do the hunting. But mm. as I just said, it was much more difficult than I expected. And um, But we had as a backup rice and beans and lentils. Right. And we found out that that wouldn't keep us warm in the mountains. We were about 1,000 meters and uh, much colder than sea level. And we got colder and colder when the winter came. And um, um, we were so cold that we woke up with hunger pains in the morning Wow! because the beans and lentils didn't keep us warm during the night.
0: So you need some good protein in there.
1: Yes, indeed. So Peter said, this is really quite problematic. Uh, you have to put in some more because I was <laughs> responsible for the hunting. <laughs> He's the cook, you see. Gotcha. Um, you have to put in some more effort with trapping. You yeah. know, my bow hunting was at the stage disastrous. Yeah. So i almost given up on it in that first um, few months. Uh, so I put a possum trap and then I got a possum. Mm-hmm. But um, I had no experience with this. I'd seen a friend killing a possum in a trap and it looked all very easy. I thought, okay, I'll just repeat what I saw. But no. It wasn't that easy. Um, It was a really traumatic experience, which I've described in the book. I ended up in tears and Peter angry because I was, you know, not efficient and was all lots of of suffering for the poor little animal. Um, But he cooked it up that night and that was the first time that we were warm during the night and we didn't wake up with hunger pains. So that meat was really uh, valuable. For our energy, which is interesting because I grew up vegetarian. Mm -hmm. My mother never cooked meat. And um, I always thought, well, you can live perfectly without meat. I mean, I survived 25 years. I guess
0: if you've then also got a house that's 22 degrees on the thermostat inside. yep, That's really interesting because it makes me think as well about early settlers, about, you know, people who were living 200 years ago and the importance of, I guess, protein for them as well.
1: Yeah, because we think, oh, why well, everyone should be vegan, which yeah. is perfect in countries like India, yeah. where this is uh, a you know a part of the culture, but um, not in places like uh, Southland, <laughs> uh, where you need the energy to keep warm.
0: That's really interesting. But then again, the vegan conversation is interesting. We've got someone coming in in a few weeks' time, who who was uh, very who was vegan, and we want to have a chat with him about it because a lot of the times vegans go that way not necessarily because of the the um, dietary requirements, but because of the ethical side of it mm-hmm. and how animals are treated in factory farming and that kind of stuff. But I guess yeah. you're actually doing us a favour because you're cleaning up pests yeah. and using them to feed yourself, and what could be more ethical than that?
1: Yes, it's an amazing situation here that introduced animals, all the introduced animals like the pigs, the deer, um, the goats, uh, possums, yeah. are uh, class- classified as a pest. Yeah.
0: Do you use uh, snares at all, ever?
1: Um, yes, I have used them, but they're very difficult. If you live in one place long enough, you can observe where the animals go all yeah. the time. And then you can put a snare yeah. in between the trees. But if you're always moving, uh, you, you don't see the uh, the patterns so quickly.
0: Have you ever got yourself a wild, wild pig, killed a wild pig? Yes, I did. Yeah. What does that taste like? What's the best uh, game meat?
1: Um, my favorite would be hare, actually. Really? Yeah.
0: What about what is a pig like? Does it taste like the pork we get out of the supermarket, or very different?
1: Well, I see. I don't really know. Oh,
0: because you were not didn't eat. Ed- so you didn't eat meat until you went into the bush. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At so all? I, no. I so didn't was that possum your first meat?
1: Yeah, that was basically my first. Your very meat. first
0: meat was possum.
1: Yes, and Peter um, said, "Well, this is meat." Yourself, so you
2: basically yeah. went from being a, a vegan to killing something and eating
1: it. Vegetarian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to um, to killing, and that's why. Um, that, that gamey taste yeah. is what I think. Well, that's normal. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you come
0: into town, obviously the Writers Festival's put you up at a hotel, and you order a steak or whatever off the menu. What does that taste like to you compared to the oh, meat you're having? When
1: I'm in town, I'm back to vegetarian.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Because also you because
1: I don't really know. I'm coming to the supermarket and all that meat thing. I don't know what's what, and it's quite yeah. expensive as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'll eat an egg or eat bread or whatever.
0: So what? So do you find, because a lot of people talk about food, you know, in the city, food and society,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, the way it's packaged up, the way it's processed, the way it's handled being quite bad for us, things like yeah. levels of salt and sugar and additives and preservatives. Do you notice a change in yourself when you're in a city for a while eating city food? Do you feel it in your body that there's a difference?
1: Um, yeah, as I said, I go back to vegetarianism. Mm. But the main difference I feel is I get sleep deprived. Because the friends with whom we are staying, they like to stay up late. They don't go to bed when it's dark. Right. Because that would be seven o'clock.
0: So when you're in the bush, the sun goes down, the head goes down.
1: That's right. Yeah. So in the winter, we sleep like 12 hours at least. Wow. And because we don't have any stress, sleep comes really quite easily. Yeah. I mean, we sit around the fire and then get a little cold. And then we sit another hour around the fire. And then we say, oh, let's go to bed. Oh, yes. Let's go to bed. Because we don't have a clock. Yeah. We don't really know what that it's that early, and uh, we sleep twelve hours, and that alone does so much for the body. So I think s- sleeping that much has literally saved me.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so that means your clock, so to say, is the is the sun. Yeah. You go out hunting. You say to your husband, "I'll be back before dark," or something like that.
1: Yeah, I yeah. don't have to say that. Maybe no, there, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's the plan. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you ever have you ever been caught out? Have you ever been unable to get back to camp on that day and have had to kind of bivouac down somewhere, or have you always made it back?
1: Yeah, I've always made it back. Sometimes in the dark, though. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I've got a headlight. Yeah. But if i got an animal and it took longer than expected, then I have to go back in the dark. Yeah.
0: Is there I anything you exciting. miss about the city or about just – not even the city because Nelson's – it is a city, but it's a smaller place. Is there anything you miss about – and don't say the people because that's an obvious one. Other than the people, friends and family, is yeah. there anything you miss from civilization?
1: Sometimes I get really sick of this smell of smoke. Here when the smoke is in all my clothing, right. in my hair. And sometimes, in the beginning, I sort of didn't mind. Yeah. Now I'm sometimes so sick of it. When I go hitchhiking, I uh, say, uh, I, I apologise for the smell and open the windows. Yeah. And say, sorry for the smell, you know, it, it's all very smoky. Because I don't smell it myself anymore. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. But when I'm, for instance, in a hotel room, then I smell my smoke. Suddenly, I smell all that smoke. So I'd love to wash it all with nice um, uh, fabric softener and make that a nice smell. What,
0: do you, what just, do you do for cleaning clothes? Just in the, in the
1: river? Just in the river, In yeah. the creek? Yep. Wash it? Yep. So we've got special soap, organic stuff, uh, olive soap, that we wash our clothing with mm-hmm. and our hair and um, everything, really. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so our river is like our lifeline. We do everything with it. So we always camp near the river. Mm -hmm. We always camp near forest for wood and also for shelter. And, um, yeah, we always try to find a flat spot, which sounds logical, but it's really difficult to find. Oh, really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking um, this morning, actually, obviously our, our little podcast is called Doc. Uh, It's a bit of a play on words of the Department of Conservation. I've got to say that slowly now.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, But when you are travelling, camping, travelling, camping, is there ever an issue with the other dock? Because I'm thinking some places, are there some places you're not allowed to camp? Do you know what those places are? Do you avoid them? Or, yeah. Or other people who are going through the bush, they have to pay money to be in certain places, like dock camping grounds or dock areas. Has there ever been a situation where you have been somewhere you're not supposed to be? Or It's
1: never an issue. Because no? we go much, much further than that. Right. So the freedom camping, all the issues with that, that's for a camper vans who are near the road. Yeah. The moment you take your backpack and you walk off, mm-hmm. there is nobody. So we don't see dock people.
0: Yeah.
1: Hardly, maybe in all those years, two or three times uh, when they do some pest control, put out some traps or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the rest, not at all. We don't see them.
0: So there'd be no, um, I guess what I'm saying is there's no regulations that you're no. that you need to follow. Being four days from the from the road.
1: No, indeed. Sometimes we stay in a dog hut. Always the ones that are less visited. We yeah. avoid all the touristy ones. Yeah. But we got an annual hut pass. Yeah. So we are allowed to stay there. There are also 700 huts that you can just stay for free. Those are very, very basic huts. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, it's basically quite open. Rats and mice can just walk in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often the ground is just dirt. Uh, The bunks are quite basic. Mm -hmm. So there's really very primitive. And uh, we like those huts because um, you find on the walls some um, people written their names and their dates, and sometimes it's uh, really like 100 years old.
0: Wow. Yeah. What about, um, you know, there's times, maybe not so much in the South Island and the Alps, but certainly in parts of the country where you've got fire bans and that sort of thing. Do you ever know that there's a fire ban on a certain re- region? Is that ever a concern or an issue?
1: Um, I guess the fire ban is, yeah, we have more people coming. Mm-hmm. But often, of course, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, um, we are very, very careful with fires and just make a small cooking fire, which is basically like 10 centimeter wide, right. which is very different from a big bonfire yeah. <laughs> where people put huge logs and they're very difficult to put out. And so that's where the danger is. Those people who think, oh, I go camping, let's make a fire and then uh, make this huge fire and it's so quickly out of control. One spark. And it's gone, you know. And that's really very dangerous. But a cooking fire, we don't want to waste any wood yeah. because we got to gather all that wood, right? So we're very careful and make a tiny fire. And when the tea is boiled, quickly put it out.
0: What about just for keeping warm though? I guess if you're keeping warm, it's going to be cold enough. It's not not a fire ban exactly. time anyway.
1: Yeah. So, so that- in winter, we make bigger fires to keep warm. And yeah. We keep that fire going, and it's amazing how warm it is. Because people say, "How do you survive in the winter and keep mm. warm?" But a fire is fantastic.
0: And I'm assuming you've got your sleeping bags are all Alpine sleeping bags, rated to negative, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, minus 30.
0: Minus 30. Those exist, do they? Oh, my goodness.
1: I Uh, don't think they really would last very long in real minus 30, but a minus 10 would be right. But I've used the possum skins to make a duvet.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that as well. What do you do with the jacket.
1: You see that on the cover of the book. I will quickly put my jacket on for the photo. Yeah, Um, uh, and that is really warm. Those furs. So that's a possum
0: skin jacket.
1: Yeah, so little pieces of possum skin, and um, I think if you go back in time, people would say, "Wow, how how come you guys keep warm? Because all the synthetic stuff is so cold. Our furs and all our um, you know all the natural materials, wool and all that, it's much warmer."
2: We and, should um, and have, possum skin's quite nice, to me. you know. It's very, it's very soft and it's it's, Rabbit? it's uh, possum fur. It's very, very possum, nice and yep. soft and very, yep. yeah, very nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. When you come to town, mm-hmm. is there ever something that you kind of go, oh, I can't wait for, whatever it is, whether it's a food treat or an experience like a hot shower, toilet paper, toilet paper. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> is, there any, is there anything <laughs> when you think you're about coming problem. to town that you actually look forward to? Uh,
1: I must say that will be email. So that's the contact. Yeah. So I always rush to the library because the library is now the only place I said, Oh, do you have internet? And they said, Yeah, yeah, Wi Fi. No, I need an actual computer. It's hard to find these days. So I rush to the library. And Peter, if he's ever in town, he's trying to avoid it. He rushes to the fish and chip shop.
2: Right. To get fish and chips. Obviously. Nice. That's a Kiwi. That's a
1: true
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and what about, okay, well, that's another question for the wild. Do you fish the, the streams? Do you get trout? Do you get that
1: kind of thing out of the water? I must say I'm slightly lazy with fishing. Right. Um, hunting is relatively easier. So, um, but yes, we have tried that. We do eeling. We got nets. Um, yeah, we tried all that.
0: Do you think you'll ever settle down in the bush? Could you imagine, you know, finding a place in the middle of the bush and that actually being... Cabin, home, you know. Again, my ridiculously Western privileged life about watching people who build places in Alaska and that's mm-hmm. where they sort of live. But it is still very remote and they still live off the land. Like, because yeah. like, Peter's older than you, isn't he?
1: Yeah. So I was 22 when I met Peter and yeah. he was 52. Right. So now 13 years further down the track, I'm 35 and he's 65.
0: So there's a there's a question around, you know, yeah. longevity of... I mean, you know, people's knees go, people's backs go. And obviously living a healthy lifestyle, I'm assuming, is very healthy physically. But mm-hmm. at some stage, the body starts to wear out physically.
1: Yeah. yeah, so we might do that in the future. But generally, we go with the open door philosophy. Mm-hmm. That means that we don't work on anything. We don't, we don't have a dream that we're going to mm-hmm. make to come through or something, you know. So um, we go with whatever is offered, So a good example is the book. I never thought of writing the book. And then the publisher asked me, um, after Tiara Roa, would you be interested in writing a book? I thought, writing a book? (laughs) I've only ever written two pages. That was for a magazine called Mind Food. And uh, I described one day in our life. And this particular person from Ellen and Unwin Publishers had read this. And she contacted me. And I thought, well, you know, I may as well try and um, so that's a good example of the open door philosophy. And if someone says, um, I'm, you know, I'm going to sail to Fiji, would you like to come? You would say, oh, yes, because we've got time, you see. yeah, That's the biggest difference. So you
0: have the freedom to do what you want when you want. Yeah. But I guess, which is great, the flip side to that, because there's two sides to every coin, mm. is there's no planning for the future. What if something happened significant tomorrow? and you weren't prepared for it.
1: Yeah. Um, then hopefully we have the survival skills yep. to deal with whatever, even if it's um, a disaster. Also, what makes a big difference is we have some savings. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say, oh, I want to live in a bush. What should I do first? And then I'll say, have savings first. Yeah. Because you need some money also as a backup. Yep. And uh, if things go wrong, uh, you need to have money to, um, yeah, to help yourself. Because you get, I don't think it's fair to rely on other people to have this love of freedom. And yep. then when it comes to a hold, that you then say, oh, please, mommy and daddy, help me. Mm. Yeah.
0: Or the other thing I was thinking is people may want to do what you're doing mm-hmm. and they could go on, a, they could get government support. They could go on a benefit and yep. that would then give them a few hundred dollars a week, more than a hundred dollars a week, certainly. You don't do that either. That's not a part of your ideology or ethos.
1: No, not really. I mean, I'm perfectly I'm fit and healthy. I could work. Yeah. I think it's very, very unfair that the person who lives there should go to work so that I can live in a bush. <laughs> yeah, that's really quite ridiculous. And um, I wouldn't find that fair. I would be quite pissed off if I was the person going to work. So, no.
0: How did you actually physically write it?
1: Yeah, good question. Because so, you are obviously uh, not yeah. got a
0: laptop in the, no. in the bush with you.
1: No. So the publisher asked me, could you write a book? And I thought, well, how are we going to do that? I haven't got a laptop. So I asked a friend, he said, Oh, you can have my old laptop. Okay. You know, borrow. But then, then how do you charge it? Exactly. So <laughs> we had to, uh, so I hitchhiked to town one day, yeah. and the woman asked her, What are you doing? And I said, Well, uh, just for something to say, I said, um, I'm asked to write this book, but um, we don't have anywhere to live. You know, at the moment, we're in a tent. And she says, Oh, come to my cook's cottage. I live on a farm near, that was 80 kilometers from Masterton, mm-hmm. North Holland, mm-hmm. And um, she said, you can stay there and write your book. So really friendly. Wow. So these sort of offers. So if you don't plan anything, people offer things. And uh, we had accommodation. This particular cottage was really old. Uh, had no warm water. Very primitive. Uh, but electricity. So I had electricity. I had laptop. I had five months to write it. I woke up every day at seven o'clock in the morning and wrote till nine o'clock at night. Wow. I didn't see any point in having holidays. So, um, yeah, it's just full-time writing. And then I was done and we went back into the bush.
0: I don't take this the wrong way, but you're a little bit mad, eh? Mad? Yeah, a little bit kind of crazy, a bit out there. Because yeah. even even that, like, work, I mean, I know several authors working from what, seven till nine, five, what did you say, for five months? Yeah. That's insane. That's a massive workload.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I was sort of just fully into it. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't see myself as an author, Yeah, meaning that I knew it was only five months. Right. And the longer it would take me, the longer it would take before we go back into the bush. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm just going to finish this, and um, that's then done. But indeed, maybe had, if I had a normal life, I would be quite a workaholic.
0: Yeah, it seems like you do everything at about hundred miles an hour.
1: Yeah, maybe just hundred percent.
0: Yeah, hundred and three percent. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't—you're not literally moving fast. You take your time, but yeah. it's all or nothing. It's you're in. This is this is life today. I'm hundred yeah. percent in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a way to live. Actually, also then you live fully, yep. and you come to the end of it. Yep. And uh, when the book was done, I'll put in all my effort, and then it's done. I can forget about it.
0: I was thinking this morning about you and um, this is a completely irrelevant question possibly. Yeah. But it just crossed my mind. So we do this live and it can't be cut out. If you if we were recording this, we'd go, if this doesn't work, we'll cut it out. But we do this live, so we can't cut this out. So this is what we're gonna ask anyway. Yeah. Is there any kind of ideology that you do this for which is a religious ideology?
1: No. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know
0: why I thought that. I just thought it feels like a you know, like the Amish, they do this back to nature sort of living in a certain way, and they feel it's a, it's an ideology that has some kind of affiliation with a belief. I mean, you do have an affiliation with a belief, obviously, but it's just not religious because it's about what ethical living is. If, so, if someone said to you, in a nutshell, one sentence, why do you do this? What would the answer be? It's
1: just an adventure.
0: So that's it? Yeah. It's an adventure.
1: Yeah, indeed. Not really beliefs behind it. Although when we set out, we Mm. did think what would happen with you, with your mind and your body, when you live for long periods of time away from civilization? Yeah. Would you go natural in the sense of would you become naturally healthy? Would your body look natural again? Mm. Like the pictures you see from Papua New Guinea 30 years ago. Uh, I mean, 100 years ago. Yeah. and we were interested in what would happen. Yeah.
0: Also, like like Maori, for example, find the uh, the bush and the land to be a very spiritual place. I mean, I don't know what that means, but no, me does
1: neither. It,
0: does it does it <laughs> does it affect you? Is it like? I mean, you were saying before that nature kind of controls you. You don't control nature. Yeah. That surely that element of being small in a big place that must feel amazing.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're small in a big place. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, Yeah, so you feel very small. You're completely subject to nature. Mm. So your psychological problems and worries seems even smaller and very insignificant and very irrelevant. And so they seem to dissolve after some time. Wow. And in its place, you have space in your mind. Mm. And with that comes clarity. Mm. And suddenly you think, well, this obviously, um, I should behave like this or I should say this or that to a person we meet or I should say this to my parents for instance and so there's a lot more clarity there in daily life which I found interesting and uh, yeah there's more space in my mind and less worries.
0: If you were to give a message to the people who are living that anxious anxiety ridden um, stressful life in the city what would you say to them?
1: What I notice myself is the effect of trees. I'm not at all a new age spiritual person, but um, I notice in myself that trees seem to lift the burden of your mind. Yeah, so even if you just go for one minute to the park, um, I think that has a positive effect. And I think scientists have found the same thing.
0: Amazing. So yeah. uh, you're not a spiritual person, but there's like a connection there that it feels like it can help in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the book is Women in the Wilderness, a story of survival, love and self-discovery in New Zealand. If people want to know more about the, um, the book and how to get it, they just Google it. Is there a website for it?
1: Yeah, there's a website, miriamlancewood.com. And you can buy the book online. You can also listen to audiobook. And there's also an ebook and if you want to buy some the book for relatives overseas it's also in chinese german dutch and french and british
0: and british <laughs> is it different from
1: kiwi english uh, yes they did do some uh, changes in the oh, text really? yeah do you know and, any any that come to mind things that they changed Ah, uh, no some political correctness uh, i believe uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> some health and safety there you go
0: there you are in your possum in your possum jacket yeah very, very cool. Hey, well, thank you for coming in and hanging out with us for some time this yeah, morning. Yeah, my pleasure. From here, if people manage to pick this pick up on this podcast today or tomorrow, you're heading to Auckland. There's another Writers' Festival in Auckland. Yep. And you're going to be there? It starts on
1: Thursday and my session will be on Sunday.
0: Fantastic. Miriam Lancewood, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, that's us uh, for another one. Uh, Now, coming up this week, we've got some really interesting conversations. We have got the Irish ambassador for New Zealand, Peter Ryan, uh, coming up. Uh, he's really interesting, and it's just going to be a little quick podcast with him because we are managing to grab him for about 20, 30 minutes in between two appointments. So he's on the way. And then later this week, Christian Picciolini. Christian Picciolini is a former white supremacist. I originally connected with Christian straight after the mosque attacks in Christchurch to just try and understand what this whole thing is about, especially from a you know white supremacist point of view, or he's a former, but he can give us some insights. Um, that's going to be our first Skype podcast. Uh, We'll see how that works out. That's going to be on Friday as well. So uh, check out those two podcasts coming up through this week. And other than that, remember you can win yourself an awesome pair of Velo glasses and a Velo watch. Velo are the experts in wooden glasses and watches. Now this week I'm going to give away a pair of these and the way you enter is to get to the Facebook page and like it. That's all you gotta do. Like the Facebook page and you're in the drawer for a pair of Velo sunglasses and a Velo watch. They're wooden, they are handcrafted sunglasses from laminated wood that helps with durability and the timber grain is unique to every single pair or every single watch. So what that means is even if it's cut from the same piece of wood, the timber grain is so unique, you've got a one of a kind piece of art for your head and your eyes or for your wrist. If you want to find out more about them, head to velo.co.nz and head to our Facebook page to enter in a drawer to win some. Alrighty, uh, we'll see you shortly with Peter Ryan, the ambassador of Ireland for New Zealand and it's all then. Hooroo!